This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to HITS radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today, I have a new uh, guest with me today. Erica Bowling is on the show today. I brought her on because she's doing some outstanding work in canine fitness and conditioning. And I've talked to her a little bit um, by email. We've talked a little bit here before the show. And I'm real fascinated um, by some of the science that's going on, just trying to keep our dogs safer and healthier. And I've had some crazy high drive dogs uh, in my career, luckily. Uh, Those are the kinds I like. And I've always tried to be careful with them, but I know that there was probably some real good things I could have done with them to possibly extend their careers a little bit, make them a little healthier into their retirement. I just didn't have the knowledge to do that. So I'm hoping that Erica is going to be able to throw out a couple of real basic tips for us today. And and if that all goes well, we'll bring her on a couple more times. We'll get deeper into the woods on it. So with that, uh, Erica, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on the show. Can you tell uh, our listeners a little bit about your background and kind of how'd you end up here on Hits Radio today? Sure. Um, Well, my background, I grew up all my life with dogs and horses and different animals. I started out with pet dogs and um, I I had a Doberman and I wanted to get into something a little bit more meaningful than just, you know, obedience and stuff like that. And I had her uh, evaluated at a search and rescue conference to see if she had any talent for searching. And I started in the working dog world through search and rescue. um, And that was a number of years ago. Uh, She was not coming from uh, working bloodlines. And so, after about two years, I uh, converted over to the Malinois. Okay. <laughs> and I love those crazy high drive dogs. I love them. Um, but uh, I started out in the search and rescue and then got involved. Uh, the first time I ever saw French ring, the protection sports French ring, I just absolutely fell in love with it. The, the bite work. I you know the amount of control that those dogs have such crazy drive and such control. And so I got involved in French ring. Um, got titled in French ring, got a second Malinois. I titled him also in French ring. And um, I through my first Malinois, he actually had an injury. He had a soft tissue injury. He wasn't even a year old. It took me almost a year to get a proper diagnosis. Um, it was very sporadic limping on and off. And what I learned was as I started to learn about the injury and learning more about canine fitness, I realized he had been giving me all kinds of signs all along the way that I had missed and a lot of veterinarians had missed. And I realized there was a lot that I could, could have been doing and should have been doing to help prevent that. So um, I started getting involved in canine fitness just to keep my own dogs fit and healthy. And then I started doing um, some detection work with my second Malinois narcotics detection. And uh, it just kind of grew from there. It was basically the canine fitness. Like I said, I, I've got those crazy high drive dogs. Um, I tell people when you do stuff like, uh, you know, the patrol work, bite work, it's it's like football. It's a high impact activity sure. and they're, they're bound to get hurt. But uh, if we can do everything we can to help set them up and help, you know, do what we can to minimize the chance of injury, um, you know, that's what we, we should be doing. And um, 
basically people saw me training, um, warming them up, stretching them, and they became very curious and wanted to learn from me. And then that kind of grew into doing seminars. Um, people who couldn't come to a seminar, I then uh, did online programs. I have an online certification program in a certified canine athlete specialist. And so um, I'm just spreading the knowledge to help keep these dogs safe, injury-free, and in some instances, we're actually saving lives by keeping them healthy and fit. Sure. I know you have a strong background in education, so it seems like the two kind of marry in together very well. Yeah, I work with a lot of canine professionals who really ha they have no interest in working with people, and so you know I love um, I love the dogs, but I love educating, I love teaching, I love sharing that knowledge because you know if I can help um, the owners and handlers see things in new ways and change the ways that they're doing stuff, you know everybody benefits. The dogs benefit, they benefit, you know our our society benefits. So sure. um, I, I love helping educate people on these topics. So let me ask you, as the proud uh, owner and trainer of lots of crazy high drive dogs over the years, um, if if I came to you and had you know a patrol dog, what would be some of the things that, or or detector dog? I have a Labrador that right now that's over the top. Um, what would be some of the things that you would start cautioning me for right yeah. off the bat about what what should we be doing different as a profession in a general sense? Yeah. One of the number one things that make me really nervous is when people are rewarding these dogs with balls, bouncing objects, and having them chasing moving things. Because I have a, it depends on the level of drive that the dog has, but a lot of these dogs have crazy, crazy drive, um, you know, prey drive, chasing sure. balls. And my own dog, like he can be running down a field and pounce on a motionless ball and like he will literally, he'll do somersaults sure. <laughs> and, you know, dogs I've, um, you know, I've heard and seen of dogs blowing out discs in their back, getting paralyzed, you know, throwing out, you know, having the cruciate tears. Yeah. And, um, and I see so many people, um, that reward the dogs by throwing the balls, having them either jumping all four feet high in the air to catch it. And also when they're chasing it, they're just, um, that impact as they're um, lunging into the ball, the impact on the shoulders, the repetitiveness. And then also when you have the bouncing ball and you don't know what direction it's going to go, yeah. the dogs, they don't think they're not paying any attention to their bodies. And you do get a lot of injuries that way. And it's something, you know, what I do is um, I'll throw the ball, have my dog wait, and then let them go when the ball's not rolling. But, um, you know, I try not to um, ever have the dog leaping with all four feet in the air because they just, they are not paying attention sure. to what their bodies are yeah. doing. And my one Malinois, I, I can't even have him chase after a ball that's sitting stationary at the end of the field. He's so crazy. And so I'll do things like throw it into tall grass. So he has to go, you know, he races down the field, but then he has to slow down and look for it. And look for it. Okay. Um, and things like that. So, um, so that's one thing is just we being more careful in how we play with them because they just, they, it's like they have no brain. They have such drive. You know, I've seen them run into fences, a ball bounces over the fence and the dogs just, you know, slams into the fence and things like that. So it's like, we have to have eyes on the back of our head, <laughs> constantly looking out for them. Um, one other thing that you, you would um, mention about the science behind this is some of these dogs, these real high drive dogs tend to run really hot and they overheat quickly. They just go, go, and go, and they will literally work until they, they're, you know, they'll go into heat stroke. They won't sure. stop and rest. And there's a, um, some research out there that shows um, 
that when they did a study on uh, search and rescue dogs, they were monitoring the internal core body temperature before, during, and after exercise searching. And when the dogs were done searching, the core body temperature continued to rise for up to eight, 10 or more minutes afterwards. And so that was really revealing because a lot of times when you're done training and your dog's walking around cooling yeah. off, you think they're cooling off, but in reality, um, yeah, the next 10, 15 minutes, you know, definitely the next eight, 10 minutes, your dog's body temperature could just be going up and up and up. And a lot of people will be putting them back in the car, putting them in the crate yeah. and not even knowing that the dog is still getting hotter. Yeah. Um, so those are some, some key things with these dogs that are just so crazy driven. Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent point. And I know, you know, I know a lot of Malinois are predisposed to, uh, is it malignant hypothermia that will, will cause them a lot of issues? Um, so definitely a good, good point. To, yeah. Yeah. And my, my own dog, my one Malinois just seems to be a little more sensitive to the heat. And, um, you know, I, I've been on trial fields. I've seen, you know, I had a, a friend carry her dog off the field. It just collapsed from the heat. I've had my own dogs get wobbly on their feet and little glazy eyed. Yeah. And it's super scary, you know, when you see them do that and it's trying to do everything you can before that, those signs happen. Yeah. Right. And when yeah. you get to that point, it comes on fast and very fast. You're, you're in, pretty good trouble at that point, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Very fast. Um, so those are, you know, those are some of the key tips. And another thing that I think we need to be really careful about is the dangers of having the weekend warrior. Um, what a, so many people do is they might train, you know, once a week, um, they might, you know, have that decoy out there, you know, have, have them suited up and the dog's working really, really hard, maybe once a week, twice a month. And what happens is um, it's like if we go to the gym and we're only lifting weights one day a week, once every two weeks, we're not sure. getting any better. We're not getting stronger. And so when we're not consistently keeping up with a regular fitness program, when we have those, you know, two day seminars, we have that, you know, decoy there training really hard one day a week or, you know, twice a month. We're basically pushing our dogs' bodies to a point that they are—they have not been, you know, acclimated, and and their body has not had time to adapt to the intensity of that work because they don't do it enough. Yeah, and that sets them up for a higher risk of injury, soft tissue injuries, and stuff. So the other thing is, if people can just be, you know, at least three days a week, some consistent, you know, some some exercise and get that heart rate up, you know, do a little bit of strength training in there, because we, you know, when we're training so infrequently, you know, they their bodies just aren't prepared for the strenuous work, the physical, you know, physicality and sure. the things that we're asking them to do. So a lot of our, our listeners are going to be handlers who, um, real standard thing is having training on Wednesdays mm-hmm. and then they've got plenty of other patrol and, uh, other duties during the week. So if that's the scenario that they're in and Wednesdays are the day that their dog does most of their hard exercise as far as training, then of course they're out doing deployments, but deployments certainly aren't usually unless there's a, a find at it usually if it's a long search it's not gonna be the same as doing a lot of bite work for a half hour so what would be what would be a good conditioning routine to do when i take my dog out for a break he's out in the park what would be a couple of things i could do with him on on mondays when i'm just by myself and i'm not training with the group 
Yeah, some of the things I like to build in, you know, some more cardio and stuff, if I can get them to a place where there's, um, for example, I like to go to fenced-in baseball fields or fenced-in areas where my dog can actually be off-leash so that, you know, he can get some distance. One of the things I like to do is I'll put a whole string of, um, like, balls on ropes, you know, kind of hanging from the fence at the end of the field. Uh (laughs) And and I will have them do kind of like, uh, you know, send-outs, you know, doing sprintings down the field, grab a ball, come back go down. I do a lot of um, sprinting kind of interval training because unless you're bicycling with your dog or running with your dog or doing, you know, 30, 40 minutes of cardio, it's hard to give them a good, a really good physical workout. And so I really like the interval training where you're keeping the heart rate up, keeping them trotting, keeping them busy, and then throwing in those sprints, throwing in the sprints. But I, again, I don't do it where they're chasing a bouncing ball. I'll either have something at the end of the field um, or I put them in a sit stay and then I go at the opposite end of the field and I, I like to hold up a bite pillow and uh-huh. um, he, he'll come racing down the field and he targets, I just hold the pillow out to my side. Yeah. And then that way he's not smashing those, you know, slamming those shoulders yeah. into the ground. And yeah. I do a lot of the sprint, sprint work and kind of interval training to maximize if I have a short amount of time, but I want to build up more cardio. Um, How long would that session be? If I'm doing um, a lot of sprinting like that, I might spend <clears throat> I might spend maybe 10, 15 minutes doing some heavy sprinting. Um, ideally, it would be great if you could throw in a couple days of more aerobic um, and having that sprinting anaerobic. Sure. So um, I love to do canny cross where I go running, you know, jogging with my dog. And I like to get in a minimum of two days a week, if not three days a week, where I'll go maybe three miles with him. But I know not everybody's a runner. Not everybody. Sure. No, no, not everybody can do that. Yeah. But um, the thing is, is when you're doing just the sprinting activities, is you're not building the same kind of stamina and endurance. If the dog is doing like, let's say you're going out for a really long track, or yeah. your dog's working hard, you know, back to back multiple yeah. days, having longer stamina. So you really. Ideally, it's good to have the sprint work and those interval, but also trying to get in a couple days a week where it's just like humans. It's that continuous, steady, a steady trot is a good cardio um, speed and, you know, get them up to about 20 minutes, just steady activity. Um, Keep them moving, keep them moving, throw in some tugging and get that heart rate up and keep that heart rate up. So it can even be switching the kind of activities you do versus um, giving them much downtime even in between and making that recovery time shorter and shorter to keep the dog active. Keep the heart rate up. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Keep that heart rate up. So besides the the throwing the balls, what would be some other things you would caution um, typical handlers on? Yeah, so um, some of the other things is um, I know that it's not completely uh, possible to avoid, but the kinds of surfaces that we work on, you know, we want our dogs to be confident on slick surfaces and hard surfaces and things like that, you know, when they're jumping and stuff. But um, we just need to put them on different surfaces, you know, to see that they're confident, make sure they're okay. But, uh, you know, I've seen times where people are training and, you know, I saw them like one time doing um, some patrol work and it was on um, in a parking lot and um, the dog lost a tooth, you know, sliding on the, the you know, sliding on sure. cement, sliding on the pavement, doing jumps where um, they're jumping over items and they're landing on a slick surface, like an, um, you know, in a school gymnasium, sure. indoor surface. And like I said, um, they do need to experience those different surfaces yeah. because you don't want the first time they're experiencing that. But 
once you know that, okay, the dog's confident and, and, you know, we don't yeah. have any environmental issues is when you're doing the, the weekly training is thinking about the kinds of surfaces and, um, you know, minimize the sure. slipping and the sliding and yeah. things like that. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. definitely something to, you know, yeah, we, minimize. we, uh, we've got access to, you know, about over a hundred school buildings and we know every single one that has carpeted hallways and yeah. those are the ones that we go to, to train in because it just makes sense. Yeah. And other things I've seen, um, um, some people have, there are some people that do some kind of resistance training or strength work where they have like the sleds that the dogs pull. And one caution here is, um, again, if you're just doing it once in a blue moon, you know, once a month, once every three months, um, I do see people that tend to, um, when they bring in different types of exercises like that overdoing it the first time because they're not consistent. And, you know, if the dog's not used to doing resistance training and pulling the sled and then you pull it out, like some of those sleds are really heavy. Sure. Um, And so I think just reminding people that pay attention to what you're asking your dog to do, um, how, how intense is that work they're doing? And if it's not something you're doing on a regular basis every week, just know that that you're pushing that dog's body, you know, beyond to what yeah. it's normally conditioned to and keep that in mind when you're doing those types of things. Okay. You have any other tips that you would say off the top of your head? Um, going back to the, um, the acclimate weather is one thing I like to mention to people, they, when you look at the patrol dogs and you look at the dogs doing the high impact type activities, people think naturally that, you know, yeah, of course the dog has to be highly fit. But um, when we have even the dogs that are doing the detection work, we know that the more fit they are, they're going to actually, their noses are going to work better. They're going to be more effective and they're going to be more efficient in in the work that they do. And so, um, so emphasizing that this is for all the dogs, you know, not just the dogs that are running at high speed and, and racing down the field. And, paying really close attention to the body condition of your dog. I I am seeing a number of dogs, pet dogs, working dogs, sport dogs, that we're still keeping them. They're carrying too much weight on them. I agree. And um, that affects everything. It affects if they're jumping, it's putting more um, wear and tear on the joints. If they're searching, it's affecting their stamina and their endurance. Um, They're going to get tired more quickly when they get fatigued. You know, when we get tired, you're just not as focused. You're, you're not thinking as well. It affects everything. And, um, and, you know, I think keeping a close eye on that, that body condition, you know, exercise is important, but that they don't need that extra weight on them. And I, the way I like to describe it is um, I like to when I'm looking at my dog and he's just standing in a natural position. I like to be able to see the last rib or two to, you know, actually see a couple ribs, not a lot, but to actually yeah. just see it see and, um, mm-hmm, and, 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 and see that. And when I feed my dogs, I know a lot of, a lot of people, they just kind of read what's on the bag or, you know, they measure it out and it's the same amount of food every day. Yeah. I literally, every time I feed my dogs, I look at them, I feel them and I adjust it every single feeding. I look at how do they look? Do I yep. need to add a little I, more? I, do I need to put a little less? And that's how I determine. I'm glad dog. you mentioned that because that's a, a big pet peeve, a peeve of mine is when I see overweight working dogs because there's no reason for it and it affects their their drives. It affects everything, like you say. So I'm, I'm on handlers all the time about adjusting their food. 
And my dog usually, you know, depend on the time of year and depend on the activity level, I do have to adjust the food. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. And some people, um, you know, they'll think, you know, even the extremes of the of weather, whether it's extra cold or extra hot, they're burning more calories. And so it might even be in the wintertime that they're burning more calories because of the cold. And so, you know, there, there's a lot of different variables that you're playing with. And um, another thing is exercise recovery. If you're going to, you know, if they're having a really hard day of training, if they have, you know, a really hard, you know, long search, and um, we do have research that shows when they're doing, um, you know, if you're doing supplementation or recovery, if you can get something in them within 20 minutes afterwards, it's going to work more effectively. And then also the effects of the heat, if your dog has heat injury and, and just kind of overheating, not necessarily heat stroke, but suffering from the heat is... Um, especially when you look at even, even some of the symptoms of heat, heat stroke, it can be up to 96 hours afterwards that you can actually oh, wow. start seeing the effects of the heat. I actually had, my dog was training over the weekend one time in the summer. He was perfectly fine on the weekend. And it was Monday that I saw the effects and he was a bit dehydrated. I took him to the ER for some subcutaneous fluids. But I didn't realize that, that you could actually see the effects of heat um, your dog maybe seems to be fined over the weekend when you're training yeah. or, and you, you can actually see the effects of the heat can be up to 96 hours afterwards. Uh, so, I did not know that. so I tell people, you know, when you're training and you know, you're really pushing it and it doesn't have to be hot for them to have heat stroke either. But when you know, your dog's really pushing it, working hard, watch your dog the next few days, hydrate, hydrate, and keep your eyes on your dog because he might be fine during training. He might be fine 24 hours later. And if you don't know this, your dog can be showing symptoms of heat, you know, having effects of heat. And you, you're not even thinking about it because training was 48 hours ago. Sure. Mm -hmm. That's a, very interesting. Yeah. So for our listeners that want to know more, I know you have a, a lot of stuff online and, and do some seminars. Can you tell us a little bit about all the different ways they could um, yes. reach out to you? Yeah, so I have a website. It's um, Northeast Canine Conditioning. It's Northeast, the letter K, the number nine, conditioning.com. And um, I have an online certification program. It leads to becoming a certified canine athlete specialist. This is for people who want to learn about fitness um, and kind of help educate others, not just focusing on their dog. And um, I specialize in sport and working dogs. And then I actually have a brand new program that um, I'm it's coming out right now. It's called the Mission Ready Canine. And it's specifically looking at canine fitness for police, military, and search and rescue canine handlers. Um, that will be up on my website soon. It's not up on the website yet, okay. but I do have a brochure on that. Um, and then I do have what's called, a, uh, I have a, another canine peak performance uh, program for more just like the handlers, the dog and the handlers. And so I have um, online programs, certification programs. Um, you know, I do seminars, I do webinars. And um, like I said, it, I focus on um, the sport dog and the working dog. The working dogs are my passion. Sure. <laughs> and so if anybody's interested, they can all, I'm, I'm also on Facebook. I have Northeast Canine Conditioning every Friday. I do a Facebook live and I've got like over, I've done over 90 hours. I've got free content on my Facebook page on canine fitness and also for canine professionals who are looking at extending their knowledge on the business side. Okay. So, um, yeah, if anybody's interested, they can find me on Facebook. They can um, message me again. They can go to the northeastcanineconditioning.com. Um, I also have a little quiz. It's called the canine, um, it's called the canine uh, fitness quiz. And uh, it's just a nice, um, a, a nice little questionnaire kind of self-assessment to kind of 
quiz yourself on your own fitness knowledge. <laughs> okay, is that on your website also? Um, um, I you know what? I'm not sure if it's um actually linked there, but it's just Canine Fitness Quiz. The letter K, the okay. number nine, fitnessquiz.com, and it'll okay. um email you. It has different categories, and okay. will email you the summaries. You can see your strengths and weaknesses. I'll put I'll put both of those in the show notes for here. Perfect. As well you. as your uh, email, so they'll be able to email you directly. Look at either of your websites. Perfect. So. Thank you so much. You bet. I know uh, you're busy and I appreciate you jumping on here today. I think it's very good information and I'm sure we'll be touching base with you more and maybe getting a little deeper into some of these subjects because this is an area that I think uh, we sometimes give a lip service to and and talk about what we should do. But I don't know that um, myself included, even after doing this for a very long time, that I know a lot of this specifics on it. So I think probably an area of weakness in our profession that I'd like Mm -hmm. to do what I can to maybe get the word out more about um, some very specific things that we should be doing with our uh, partners every day. So I appreciate you helping spread the word with all that. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And if you guys like uh, these types of, of topics, remember we're going to be in Chicago this year, hitsk9.net. You can check out all of our different instructors, all of our different uh, vendors we're going to have. This year, we actually, uh, by the time I had met Erica, we had already filled up our instructor spots. We have lots and lots of uh, people who want to teach at HITS. We just can't fit them all. So uh, Erica will be at HITS sometime in the future, I'm sure. But there's lots of great classes this year at HITS. Go to hitsk9.net. You'll see the list of all the instructors, all the classes, and all the vendors. And I think Erica is going to be there roaming around, so we'll be able to, <laughs> to put you in touch with her uh, if you just want to ask her some more questions about the show. So hopefully we'll see you all in Chicago in just a couple months. Thanks, and we'll catch you on the next episode. HITS Radio is brought to you by the professionals at HITS Training and Consulting. Don't miss out on the world's largest law enforcement canine training conference. Coming to the McCormick Center in Chicago, Illinois this August, HITS has the most diverse class schedule to fit your training needs. And with over 100 vendors, you'll find everything you need to gear up for your next shift. Register today and save at www.hitscanine.net.